Welcome to the Proclaim podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. So welcome back to our Proclaim podcast. Uh, For the next number of episodes, we're going to do a series on something called intentional accompaniment. Now, we know that Pope Francis has really popularized this term accompaniment. In fact, in Evangelii Gaudium, Proclaim uh, constantly quotes uh, his paragraph, I think it's 169, where he says that the church needs to learn how to initiate all of us into this art of accompaniment where we're able to, um, and I'm paraphrasing, where he invites us to really take our shoes off um, in front of another, indicating that you know their lives, their hearts, their souls are holy ground. And so I brought Michael Hall, a recently published author, missionary with CCO, to have a conversation, a series of conversations around intentional accompaniment. So welcome, Michael. It's always good to be here, Eric. Michael, you've just been uh, published with a second round or second edition of Intentional Accompaniment. And I know that Intentional Accompaniment has been a model and a framework for CCO's approach to relational evangelization over the years. So uh, you've been um, part of CCO for over 15 years and have seen this model get refined and understood. And, And now you've written a book. And so we're excited. I'm so excited to be able to speak into some of the content around intentional accompaniment over these next few episodes. But before we get into that, uh, why don't you share with us sort of a, a general overview of the intentional accompaniment framework? Yeah, so intentional accompaniment, the, you, you quoted Pope Francis from Evangelii Gaudium, and that's obviously one of the guiding quotes for, for our model as well and, and in the book. On intentional accompaniment, we quote that section 169, you hit it right on the head, um, you know, that that everyone needs to be initiated into this art of accompaniment. Um, we added the word intentional to that because the the whole point is that we want to be able to not just walk alongside people. That's good. You know, and, and Pope Francis alludes to that, the importance of spiritual closeness uh, and how we can be the, the fragrance of Christ to people through that closeness. Um, but we have a bigger goal than that. So I kind of look at it as, you know, there's two, there's two things that we're holding in balance as we look at, at accompanying others. And on the one hand, we want that, that spiritual closeness that, um, that they understand how much we care for them, how much we love them, um, and that our, our, our desire to evangelize doesn't come from uh, anything other than love. Uh, and, and that we have met this person in Jesus that we have fallen in love with, and we just want others to have that same experience with him. But at the same time, the church also has a job to do. We, we have the Great Commission. We have what you know, the Lord says to us, and we see that in the, in the end of Matthew's Gospel, in uh, Matthew 28, 19, you know, go and make disciples of all nations. So we have a job, and, and the church has been very clear over and over again. Her nature is to evangelize. That is her purpose in the world. So... To, a, to get a job done, you need to, you need to have intention. You need to, you need to know what is my goal and what's the plan to, to make it happen. And so the intentional accompaniment model is meant to try and balance these two elements of accompaniment, that it's meant to be, always be driven by love and care for the other, uh, to walk alongside them and that spiritual closeness, while at the same time knowing we've got a job to do, and that's to make disciples of all nations. And so that there's, there is a plan a, a general trajectory, if you will, that we see that most people go on in their their spiritual journey, um, and 
along these stages, if we can identify the stages, then we can know where to point them next and, and, and the things that we can expect to happen when they find themselves in a particular stage. Mm-hmm. I love the approach that CCO takes with this intentional accompaniment model because it's it so lines up with the Proclaim movement. And our mission in Proclaim is to awaken disciples to proclaim Jesus. And when an individual is captured and um, enamored by God's love and makes a heartfelt commitment to give his very life to him, how can we not go and share um, share that same love with others? But then in the context of our Catholic tradition, and you know this, and many of our listeners experience this, if not all of them, uh, our Catholic uh, world, our culture, and all of the different activities that we can engage in can get a little bit messy, and it can get really hard to understand where we're trying to go. Um, and so with this model, I think what you've, uh, what CCO has offered and what you've offered in this book has been a, a bit of a laser focus into how we can help people uh, be captured by the love of Jesus and then to move into the mission that he calls us to, which is to make disciples out of the Great Commission. So I love that. It's so focused. Let's get into it, shall we? Yeah. And, and just on the point there too, like, you know, it's, it's about helping people walk along a journey. It isn't about like, well, are you in this stage or that stage? And sometimes people get hung up a little bit on the idea of, well, there's a model and, and it feels like you're putting people in a box. Yeah. And say, oh, well, you're in this stage. And, and that's not at all the goal. The goal is just to say, hey, as people go on the journey towards the Lord, they often go through you know, these different stages. And if we can identify where they are, then we can have that laser focus to know then probably the next step that they need is, you know, if it's if they're at A, then the next step is probably B. And the one after that is probably C. And if we can know those things, then it helps us be way more effective in evangelizing. It I think ideally it should actually make it seem less daunting because there's been somebody who's already shown you the path you can walk. You don't have to try to figure it out on your own. Uh that's a daunting thing to think, how am I gonna bring this person to know Jesus if you haven't uh, if you haven't ever done it before, you know, yeah. or, or never seen it done successfully. Um, so, you know, it, it just, it's meant to, yeah, have that laser focus so that everybody can have just, a, they can know the path. They can know the place they're, they're trying to bring somebody on. Right. Okay. Now we've had a variety of uh, guests come on in previous Proclaim podcast episodes where we've talked about intentional accompaniment, the intentional accompaniment masterclass. So to all of our listeners, if you're looking for an overview of intentional accompaniment and how others have used uh, this framework in their ministry um, here in the Archdiocese, feel free to jump back to some of those previous episodes. Um, and I'm also going to reference the book, Intentional Accompaniment, that Michael has uh, just published, and you can find that at store.cco.ca, and we'll be able to uh, provide a link in our co- our show notes and, and comments. Um, we're going to assume that you've taken a bit of time to understand some of the framework, and we're going to do a deep dive into some of the particular subjects and areas in the framework that I think can offer a lot more insight and understanding so that we can get better and more skilled at uh, this art of accompaniment and in particular intentional accompaniment leading people and helping them become multiplying missionary disciples. And so today we're going to talk about the topic of conversion. So Michael, where does conversion land in this framework and why is it so important to the model? So within the the model itself, um, if you actually, uh, and maybe in the show notes, we can put a a picture of it, 
um, of the diagram that we use, it's formed in this kind of hourglass shape. So you kind of picture, you know, two triangles, you know, and, and where the tips meet at the middle, the, you know, the, the top part, they meet in the middle. Um, and the bottom half of that hourglass is meant to describe those who, who haven't yet experienced conversion. And the top half is meant to uh, describe those who have experienced conversion. And now they've, they're walking that road of discipleship. That they're they're growing in holiness and mission and, and growing in their relationship with the Lord and growing in evangelization. And the middle, right at the middle, the kind of the crux of the whole thing is conversion. And so everything is meant to flow towards conversion and from conversion. So in the bottom half, as we are moving towards Jesus, we are moving towards conversion. And then once we've met him, everything flows from that conversion. And that conversion is really what drives our, our growth in discipleship, eventually moving towards becoming missionary disciples. So it is the absolute fundamental crux of the whole model is initial conversion. When somebody makes that initial yes to, to Jesus and says, yes, I want to walk as his disciple now. Yeah, I can see how that, how important that is. What's coming to mind for me is, um, a scene in from the chosen that sort of tv series that shows the life of jesus and those first followers and there's a scene with mary magdalene who had just encountered jesus mm-hmm. and um and the um the pharisee uh nicodemus and so nicodemus asks mary you know you look different what happened and all that and she just basically says like something super simple a one-liner she says i was one way and now i'm another and the thing that happened in between was him making reference to jesus absolutely like, isn't that like the kind of the the best elevator pitch kind of testimony that you can that you can get into because you know we certainly could expand that into like how we were one way in our story and then how we are now another way and kind of break that out but really what happened in the middle was him and uh, Jesus is at the center of the uh, accompaniment model and so when we turn our uh, our life towards him and, and change our ways that's conversion Absolutely. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. He happened. So yeah. like, you know, he, he came into my life and changed everything. And that's what, that's what we're trying to lead people towards so that they can experience that. And then that's what we're trying to build upon after they have experienced that. Okay. So for a Proclaim member who is listening to this and is saying, wow, that, that makes a lot of sense. You have to lead them to Jesus and then you build upon that. Um, but isn't necessarily sure how to, I guess, help someone come to a point of conversion and also identify whether an individual has had a conversion or is having a conversion or you know or whatever like let's let's get kind of deeper into what it looks like and how a missionary disciple can lead it and and identify it well yeah let's start with what it looks like you know what are the so i would describe three elements that make up initial conversion that you're going to have something that happens in the intellect, you're going to have something that happens in the will, and then something that happens in the emotions. And when those three come together, we have what you might call the fullness of, of, a, of an initial conversion. And without any of those elements, there's something missing. It's not quite complete yet. And so being able to look at those three, uh, three elements helps us know what's left to kind of work on with a person, what's left to help them discover uh, and to help them experience. So so the intellect, I mean, first and foremost, we have to come to believe in the truth about Jesus. You, you can't love what you don't believe to be true. So 
that's why so often evangelization often starts with somebody coming to a new realization about the truth, about God, about Jesus, about the church, um, just about faith. And as those new realizations come, their, their mind moves from questions to feeling like maybe those questions have an answer and that the answer is, in the end, Jesus himself. Uh, and that's why you see, you know, so often uh, there's all these great programs out there that, that teach us about Jesus because that, that element of just the conversion in the mind, um, it makes such a difference. It's really indispensable. And so whether you look at, you know, CCO's discovery study and the way it walks you through um, the, you know, who is Jesus and why does he matter? Or you look at, uh, you know, something like the Greater Venture Bible Timeline with Jeff Cavins, and it talks to you about the truths of Scripture. Or you look at the way an Alpha program, you know, Word on Fire, all of these great programs that are out there, they're all designed to bring you to that experience of a conversion happening in the intellect. Um, And it is often the first thing that happens. It's not necessarily the first thing. It doesn't have to be. But in many cases, it is because you come to this you kind of come to this place like, huh, maybe that is true. Maybe that is right. Maybe it's something you were raised with, and but now you're starting to, to realize like, okay, maybe that is, maybe what my parents taught me was true. Maybe what I heard in school, what I heard in homilies in my first communion class, like maybe those things actually are true. Or maybe it's something you've never heard before and it's now presented to you. Um, whatever the, the circumstances, you've got to come to that point of, yeah, okay, this thing is true. Um, just believing something is true doesn't mean that you have internalized it and made it your own and and allowed it to guide your life. Um, and I love the story of Saint Augustine to describe that because if you if you read his confessions, you see that his intellectual conversion, if you will, or the that element of his conversion, happens well before his life changes, um, it, even before he really would identify himself as somebody who's trying to follow Jesus, he still held Jesus as kind of the main standard of truth, even while he was chasing all these other ideas. So his mind was kind of made up that this was true, but he, his, his will wasn't yet made up or uh, he hadn't yet decided to say, I'm going to allow that to actually guide my life. And so that's where the will kicks in, that we have to make a decision at some point to embrace the truth um, and make it our own and say yes to it. And that's where a lot of especially those who are raised in Catholic homes, you might have come to a place where you uh, know the truth, you've been taught it, you might even accept it. But then there's the question of, are you letting it guide your life? Are you, are you letting that penetrate the, your whole being? Or is it just something that you hold as true, but then you kind of just do whatever you want anyway? So the will has to kick in. And I know our founder, Andre, will always talk about the marriage vows being a, a great example that you... Uh, you can believe in the love of this, you know, your fiance, let's say, but uh, just believing in her love versus like embracing it, saying yes to it, committing to it. Those are two different things. They're two very different things. Um, and so there's there's this act of, of the will that needs to happen where we give an adult yes. And, and one of my favorite definitions of conversion is from John Paul II in Redemptorist Missio, where he says that, we need to accept by a personal decision the saving sovereignty of Christ and become his disciple. And it's that element of, I say yes, I, I choose this. And then there's the third element of the emotions, um, which I, I, 
think might throw some people off when they hear that term like oh now you want it to be like super emotional or something and uh, it doesn't have to be that you know that you fall on the ground weeping uh when you have this conversion but i mean if we think about it any relationship has to involve emotion if there's no emotion then is there really a relationship of love love is uh, we of course we always define you know love is not a feeling that's it's it's an action word you know it's a verb it's it's all those things we say that a lot especially when we're talking about dating relationships romantic relationships um but at the same time it, you know you, you don't go to the altar with someone without any emotion with any feeling you, even just in in friendship like there is there's feeling there's emotion it may not be over the top make you want to cry all the time um but there should be an emotional element to this conversion that your the 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 emotional aspect of who you are is uh, turns towards the Lord and within a biblical theology that when we put all those three together that equals the heart the heart encompasses the the emotions the will and the intellect that all of them form together the heart and so really a conversion of the heart actually involves all three. Um, that there should be an emotional element. And that means that we should see people fall in love with Jesus, that they have an emotional connection. There's a relationship that's there and that they're choosing it in the will and then that their mind has become convinced of the truth. Wow, there's so much to unpack there. And I love it because sometimes we can sort of glaze over the word conversion and just think, well, someone's going to be one way and then another and the thing that happened in between was Jesus but really you've you've broken it down and what I love about the breakdown is that as a missionary disciple in accompanying someone in my life like it's it's almost not I don't want to say like easy because you know I, I don't want to make light of it but it's it gives me a chance to be able to identify um, things that are happening in another person's life by the way they talk about what's you know their their understanding of Jesus, who he is, how how they are relating to him, and what they are doing as a result of it. And you made reference to uh, John Paul II and Redemptoris Missio. There's another quote that came to mind from St. John Paul II from Catechesi Tridende, and he speaks about the kerygma, and it says that the uh, the kerygma is the initial ardent, ardent proclamation by which a person is one day overwhelmed and brought to the decision to entrust himself to Jesus Christ by faith. And so when I think of that word overwhelmed, I think it it, it encompasses both the truth of who Jesus is, and then the awareness that kind of like, you know, the light bulb that turns on. And, uh, and I think it also ties into the emotion that, you know, there's something that has just been kind of like eye opening to an individual that leads to a decision to entrust himself wholly to Jesus Christ. Um, there's an analogy that we um, that I've heard a few times in proclaim around um, thinking about how someone has a conversion towards an activity like kayaking. So you could have the understanding and the knowledge of what kayaking is and how it can help you and, you know, your, your fitness goals or whatever it might be. But until you get into the boat, experience it and, um, uh, and, and really see for yourself what it is like to be a kayaker, um, you know, you can hear it in the voice of the individual who talks about it. Someone who is not a kayaker could say, yeah, kayaking is good for you. You know, you, there's some fitness levels and all that stuff that, that you can achieve. But a kayaker themselves, one, 
would speak with a bit of emotion and like conviction that, that, that it is good for them because of the experience that they've had, as well as probably saying, yeah, I am a kayaker versus someone who says, no, I don't really kayak, but I know it's a good thing. Yeah, that relational aspect is so important to it because otherwise it's it's just it's just a a set of truths that you've given assent to. Um, but our faith is not primarily a set of truths; it is an encounter with a person. You know, there's that I I don't remember the 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 Benedict quote off the top of my head, but Benedict the Sixteenth refers to that 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 uh, Christianity is primarily an an a, an encounter with a person and an event. And of course, he's referring to the the uh you know to his death and resurrection his passion uh it's it's from uh, the quotes from Dave's Caritas asked right at the beginning like paragraph one or two or something um but yeah he just it it, it so beautifully phrases that that uh, often what happens you know you can think about it, it with these three elements you know like what happens if you're missing one you know so if you have just the intellect and the will you've chosen to believe in these truths but you haven't yet actually encountered the person you know, and had the relationship. Whereas if you just have the the emotions and the will, but you haven't yet assented to the truth, then it's it's not grounded in anything. It's really just grounded in an emotional experience, which will likely kind of fade away at some point. And then you won't have truth to be able to be grounded upon. So, you know, and if you just have an experience and you've come to believe it's true, but you don't actually, you know, firmly set your will upon it, then again, if that will eventually kind of fade as well as the emotional experience. I mean, anybody who's been married knows the, the difference between the honeymoon phase and the rest of your life. You know, it, it doesn't feel the same. And there's those moments that you have to, you have to fight for that relationship and things are hard. Um, there's joy on the other side of that battle, but you have to have something solid to, uh, to, to kind of rely upon when the feeling isn't there. So all of those same elements kind of fit into conversion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just pulled up that quote that you're referencing uh, from Pope Benedict Sixteenth um, in Deus Caritas S. It says, "Being uh, being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction." And isn't that conversion, right? Like, yeah. there's a new horizon and a decisive direction that you have now taken. That you, you know, you were one way and now you're another. Yeah. So for our Proclaim listeners who are, um, who are hearing this and are thinking about the people in their uh, proximate periphery, um, you know, what are some of the things that you, you've heard from those people in their proximate periphery when it comes to their uh, knowledge of Jesus, the way in which they talk about him, uh, decisions that they've made or not have made, uh, intentional moments where you've had with an individual in your proximate periphery around aspects of faith. Um, has there been insight? Has there been ways in which they've said things that have helped you understand whether um, conversion has occurred? I think these are really important um, things for you to chew on and to reflect on. So let's get into how a missionary disciple might invite someone to make that decisive action. What, like, what does that look like and how can a, a missionary disciple kind of set themselves up in a way where they can feel confident in inviting people to that decision? Well, I think this is where um, a program is so helpful in this context because then you have somebody who's already thought this through and shown you how 
Um, but then you can take a program and, and break it down into something as simple as just talking to a friend over, you know, over a kitchen table. But I think, you know, whether you're doing it in a formalized program or you're doing it just in one-on-one conversation, I think what it boils down to is the sharing of the kerygma. So just that basic summary of the gospel. We often use those four points of God loves you. You know, it's created you for a relationship with him, our relationship broken through sin. Jesus restores a relationship through his life, death, resurrection. And now you have a choice to make. And the key is that choice element in this in that presentation, because you need to you need to offer that person a direct invitation that's personal. Um, and to be able to say to them, you know, George, do you want to have a relationship with Jesus? Does that sound like something you would like to have? And you can do it that simply and that casually. And, you know, if you if you think about, you know, I, obviously I'm very, you know, steeped in the CCO materials and how we do that. And we use our, our relationship diagrams, which are meant to illustrate, you know, the the levels of commitment that you would have. And uh, but I think however you do it, the, those most important questions are are the ones that we use when we present those images, which is basically, well, how would you describe your relationship? right now with Jesus? Do you have one? Is it, um, you know, is it something where he's a part of your life, but not, uh, you, you, there's not a full commitment? Or is it something you have a full commitment? And, you know, when somebody answers that question back, you, you haven't diagnosed anything on your own. You know, you've just let them do the talking. And, and you know, I really suggest take it at face value. You know, if they say, I don't know him at all, even if you feel like maybe they do, well, they don't. So, you know, treat it as such. Um, you know, or vice versa. If they're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know him. You're kind of going, I'm not sure that you do. Well, it's okay. You can then ask, start asking questions. Tell me about that. You know, you don't have to get um, nitpicky about trying to say, well, I don't know that you do. That probably won't go well if you do it that way. Right. So just, you know, more that listening and, and asking people questions and then saying, well, would you like to have a relationship with him? Mm-hmm. Is this, you know, what we've just talked about, whether it's in the context of a, a you know, weeks long, faith study program you did with them, or you walk with them through alpha or, or you're just having a simple conversation. It's, you know, just that direct question of, well, what do you want? Do you mm-hmm. want that relationship with him? And then if they say, yeah, I want that, just pray with them. And the content of the prayer doesn't, you know, there's no magic formula to this that, you know, if you pray it this way, then everything works. And if you don't pray it that way, then everything breaks down. And it doesn't need to get that complicated. There's, you know, again, lots of great formulas out there that, that are helpful to make sure you kind of hit on some important points. But again, not because it's a, there's some sort of sacramental formula to this. It's just inviting someone to say yes. So, you know, it could just be as simple as, Lord Jesus, enter my heart. Lord Jesus, I say yes to you. I love you. I want to walk with you. You know, just simple things like that. But when we make that direct ask and we make it, it that personal and direct, um, then we have the opportunity to really give them that moment to say yes, which is, you know, again, going back to our three elements, that's the, the decision of the will. Saying, yes, I want this. I choose this right now. And it's kind of like a, a moment of planting a flag that they can look back to and say, yeah, no, I said yes to this. Even in those hard moments, say, yeah, I, was, I said yes to it there. I probably need to say yes again. Probably need to say yes every day. But there's a first yes, and that first yes is just crucial. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think back to uh, a moment of conversion for me being in uh, being in the chapel and not really having the words or an understanding and language of, you know, 
putting Jesus at the center of my life or, like you said, a, a particular formula of prayer. I just remember, um, by the grace of God, having that intellectual sort of uh, knowledge that, yeah, Jesus died for me and he is inviting me to follow him. And then also experiencing the sort of overwhelming sense of grace that led into this emotional out, out, outburst and, and saying, okay, I'll follow you. And, and to me, like I didn't have the words, but there was a, a movement of the will that said, I'm going to be one way. I was one way and I'm going to be a new way. And the thing that happened in between was him. Um, I, I also think that it's it's really important to note to our Proclaim listeners that um, successful conversion, if you will, is not up to us, and it's not up to, I guess, um, a perfect presentation of the gospel or um, you know the the exact proper timing of an invitation. We know that the Holy Spirit is the principal agent of evangelization, and that conversion occurs by grace. And through the action of the Holy Spirit, that allows for an individual to make the decision. But we also have a responsibility to make the invitation. So for our Proclaim listeners, if you're feeling as though like this can be a daunting uh, task of leading people to conversion, uh, I think what's in our control is our capacity to know that we can help move the intellect uh, help um, foster an environment where em- an emotion uh, can come about, and of course uh, that we make the invitation uh, to choose Jesus. But ultimately, it's it's the work of the Holy Spirit that leads conversion. There's a great line that you and I were both taught as young missionaries. Um, we we called it the definition of successful witnessing: that we take the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, motivated by love and we leave the results to God. That the results don't matter. You can't control it, just like you're saying. You you have no control over whether or not somebody says yes or no to that question. Um, And it isn't necessarily a reflection on how well or how poorly you shared the gospel or how well or poorly you invited them. Yeah, there's times where you give the most eloquent you know, exposition of the charisma and the most personal and direct invitation and the person says, no thanks. And there's other times when you stumble and fumble your way through the whole thing, barely get the words out and the person has this massive conversion right in front of you and you're not really sure how. And the, re- the reality is it's all the Holy Spirit's work and it's, and it's this person's response. You have no control over that. So the success is just simply that you took the initiative, that you did it, that you were you let the Holy Spirit take the lead, that you were motivated by love, that you shared Jesus, and then you just kind of, that's all you can do at that point. Um, And sometimes it can feel really hard when you feel like you, you, well, you really hoped that somebody would experience conversion, you shared, and they say no. Um, And we can take that hard, and and sometimes that can lead us to not want to do it again, because we feel like somehow we failed, or or that it was Mm -hmm. our fault. Mm but no, it's actually, it, it's, you have no control over how that situation goes, you know, and you can't take credit for the, the moments where conversion does happen, and you can't take the blame for the moments where it doesn't happen. It's just, you, your job is just to be faithful. Mm-hmm. Well, we've taken a bit of time to talk about conversion, uh, which is right at the middle and at the heart of intentional accompaniment we lead people to conversion to encounter Jesus, and through that conversion, we invite people into the Great Commission to make disciples. 
Michael, thanks so much for taking the time to go through this uh, this topic of conversion in the intentional accompaniment framework. Uh, for our listeners, if you're interested in hearing more about intentional accompaniment, uh, we're going to do a series of podcast episodes on different topics uh, around the um, around intentional accompaniment. And so, uh, please stay tuned for future episodes on um, on this topic. Uh, and in the meantime, if you want to grab Michael's book, Intentional Accompaniment, you can go to store.cco.ca. Uh, You can listen to a few of our previous podcasts with other guests that have talked about the fruitfulness of this model in their evangelizing efforts. And of course, Proclaim is always here to help. So please like our podcast, subscribe, uh, join our Facebook page and, and join the conversation as we continue to awaken disciples to proclaim Jesus in their homes and in their communities. Thanks again, Michael. Thanks for having me, Eric.